I have a question for you. What? I don't want to answer this question anymore. <laughs> what? What was the name of the droid from Star Wars who was also a vampire? What was the name from the of that droid in Star Wars who was also a vampire? I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Nose for R2? <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> you get the joke. <laughs> Nosferatu values R D two's name in it. <laughs> Please don't cry. <laughs> everyone i'm phil and i'm ollie and it's del toro time it's del toro time hooray Woo. and we are back with another of the list of wonderments the ecstasy of influence exactly movies that del toro were influenced was influenced by really likes mm -hmm. and recommends everyone watch and what are we back with today Nosferatu. Nosferatu, Eine Symphony des Groens from 1922. I don't know how to... Wow, you butchered that. I don't know German. I don't know German. I don't know how to speak German or pronounce German. I could probably do better with Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. Nosferatu, Eine Symphony... Just stop. Stop. De... No, stop. Or Nosferatu, A Symphony of Horror, as it was originally titled, or Nosferatu, as everyone just calls it. Uh, what, where, where, what is this movie about? A vampire. The vampire. The vampire. The main vampire. Our, our boy, the vampire. The big, the big baldy, old fang face, sanguine Steve. How old is he? Nosferatu. Well, we don't get a whole lot of uh, detail about about. Well, his so okay, as is pointed out in TV tropes. People always call him Nosferatu, but he is not Nosferatu. No. He is Count Orlock. Count Orlock. He is a Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. um, and what does Nosferatu mean? We don't know. We don't know. Why don't we know? Because the origin of it is unknown. Yeah. We know that. So we know that Bram Stoker used the term Nosferatu briefly in the book Dracula. Mm -hmm. But that, like. It could be. It, I I personally think it's a mush of Greek and it's Greek, right? Yeah. Greek and Romanian. Yeah. Because there's two words in it that sound very similar, but they kind of took the ending of the Romanian one and the beginning of the Greek one and kind of mushed them together. Yeah. So we discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a couple of words that could be Nosferatu or it just could be made up. Like, I still think they mushed those two words together. So we talked a little bit about Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula mm -hmm. in our... Uh, the was it the, the strain yeah we touched on it briefly well yeah because we have to talk about the vampire if we're going to talk about some vampires yeah and del toro borrowed from dracula to make the strain like mm -hmm. just plot elements and stuff which was obvious like that was the whole point like he wasn't stealing the story or anything no god forbid someone should steal the story of dracula to oh. make a movie oh i can't imagine if we're ever going to get a chance to talk about that but uh, <laughs> but we know a lot about the writing of Dracula mm -hmm. because Bram Stoker took extensive notes, like daily notes as he wrote this. There is no mystery as to where he got any of his ideas from. And you can they're in an archive. Uh, you can visit the archive. I'm not going to look it up. 
and see where if you want to see the the ram stoker notes do your own googling do your own googling but they're out they are they exist in a library and that that's why people today know that bram stoker did not base dracula on uh vlad the impaler he got the name from a history that mentioned vlad the impaler but he didn't know jack about vlad the impaler he had pretty much written the entire novel before he had even heard of vlad the impaler and we know this from notes but we also know that he came up he may have come up with the word nosferatu himself uh so that should be our first clue that this movie is not a wholly original idea no our second clue is the fact that they were sued (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say our second clue is the fact that it's obviously stolen from dracula (laughs) and i don't think it took more than 15 minutes for anyone to realize this was a ripped off well, I mean, just I, I don't think it took more than one minute <laughs> for them to realize this was ripped off, considering originally it was just Dracula. Well, originally they tried to get the rights yeah. to make this movie. Well, who's they? Who's they? Um, the creators. F.W. Uh, Murnau and, uh, was making a, had a new film studio yeah. called Parna Film. And Murnau had been talking about wanting to do a vampire uh, movie for a long time. And he had tried to get the rights to Dracula from Dracula's widow, or mm. Dracula's widow from Bram Stoker. From Dracula's widow. Dracula's widow. Dracula was a real person. Um, <laughs> actual vampires exist. This is a PSA. Run, hide, you cannot escape. Here come the vampires. <laughs> blah blah. Uh, no, from uh, from Bram Stoker's widow. He tried to get the rights, and she was like, "Nyet nine, no. never negatory. Zero percent. Zero percent. Go to bed for now. You're drunk." And he said. Okay, well, I'll just do an original vampire story. Shifty eyes, shifty eyes, shifty eyes. Because <laughs> he basically just took Dracula and... Name swapped. Changed some names. Although they're very similar names. <laughs> right. And he's like, mm, cannot call him Jonathan Harker. I will call him Thomas Hutter. <laughs> I will not call her Mina. I will well, I call her Ellen. I, I, it's Okay, that's not the same, but like... He he did some name swappings, but God, if you are at all familiar with Dracula, you're like, this is Dracula. Like this is Dracula. Even the story even of Dracula. if you're not familiar with Dracula, Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> like guy gets called away to do real estate business at a creepy castle in Transylvania. Meets the count, creepy creepy count who's a vampire. It's Dracula. Like got fit coffin on a boat everyone dies is dracula comes to well another not london but comes to another country where where does this movie take place it takes place in a made up city um the german city of visborg okay uh which is like a a, a, a moosh mash one of those mish mash ups that all the kids are into these days uh of of a couple of german cities okay uh so yeah so it's it's made up but and it was filmed on location. Well, we'll talk about this. So let's th- just a little bit of the background. Uh, Murnau made this movie. Mm-hmm. Was immediately sued for all of his money. For all of his money, give us all your money. So uh, Parna Films had to declare bankruptcy in order to avoid paying uh, Bram Stoker's widow everything in the world. And she said, also, in addition to all the money in the world, you have to. Burn every copy in the world. Burn every single copy. Destroy every single copy that exists of this movie called Nosferatu, Symphony of Horror. And uh, But they didn't. Nope. Nope. People already had copies of the movie and they squirreled them away. 
because they were like, this is actually a pretty good movie and we don't want to lose it just for stupid legal reasons. <laughs> Which, uh, before we even begin talking about the movie, if this happened today, and it does, there's plagiarism mm-hmm. all over the place today. But if someone was like, I'm going to make a movie called Boy Wizard, and it's going to be about Benny Palmer, and it was exactly Harry Potter, and they made it a major release in, say, Sweden. We would call, like, everyone would call foul on it, no matter yeah. how good a movie it was. Like, if it was great, we just, everyone would still call foul. Nobody would go to see a movie called Boy Wizard. And we would rally behind J.K. Rowling. I don't think that movie would ever get made, considering the great, like, papers she has like she has really good like copyright like right right but i'm like someone if 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 a small studio in sweden just made it on the quick yeah and it was in secret and it came out in major release we would rally behind just kidding rolling and be like hey the artist's rights this is not cool like no matter how good this movie may be Mm -hmm. shut it down so it's funny that we still now we elevate nosferatu yeah I mean, like, it's weird. It's weird. Is it just because so much time has passed? I think so. Considering it's public domain at this point, I don't know if we can really complain about that. But at the time it was made, it was certainly not public domain. (laughs) I do not support plagiarism in any form. Yeah. But I don't know if I get to say in this because I've actually never seen or read any Dracula anything. We'll get to him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so it's, it's weird. What's funny, though, is that compared to the Dracula movies that came out, like mm-hmm. the official Dracula movies, like Universal. This is a far more uh, faithful adaptation of Dracula. The Dracula movies that come out tended to be come out later tended to be based on uh, stage plays, like mm-hmm. official stage plays that had been written, which tended to consolidate the action to like a single location or to just a couple locations. So they they were mostly castle based, far more gothic than than the actual Dracula novel, which was a very globe trotty novel, and. Uh, so this movie is up until Dracula arrives in Visborg or Count Orlock arrives in Visborg. It's pretty much based very, very, very closely to Dracula. Mm-hmm. The ending is totally different. And what happens once he arrives is totally different. But uh, so it became a cult film. And then over the years, like it just became accepted. This was an awesome movie. Uh, it came to America like eight years after it was originally made. And it just became a considered a classic of silent cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a... We had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, let's be honest here. Let's be honest. It was when you watch a silent movie today, you really have to get a good copy of the movie and a good copy of the music to go behind the movie. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of dropped the ball on getting a version that had good music. The version that we watched was a was a was a uh, I can't remember what company put it out. It was released on DVD. And it's it's a cleaned up copy. It's a crisp, very beautiful copy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the color tints. It no. was flat black and white, which we didn't realize at the time made it very difficult to tell transitions between day and night, which is actually kind of important in this movie. So every and since everything was filmed during the day, it kind of gives the whole movie a very samey quality. Like it all looks like it takes place at noon. Y- yeah. <laughs> which, you know, so there's originally like an amber tint and a blue tint an amber tint for day a blue tint for night um also the score that was on that version was very upbeat 
Yeah. Most of the time, like, like even during like scary scenes, there was like, like going on. And so it, you realize just how much the mood depends on music. Music. Um, so if I would recommend, there's a new, I think a two disc version that's available on Blu-ray. And I was, I was looking at that after we had watched it and yeah, go with the newer edition with the, the good spooky score and the, and the color tints, you're going to get a better experience than we got. Well, I mean, I think we got a great experience. Oh, it was a fun experience. (laughs) It just wasn't a scary experience. And there it's it's an almost 100 year old movie made uh-huh. in a different time for different audiences but well let's get to the story what happens in nosferatu ein symphony just say the, the symphony symphony of horror symphony of horror 1922 <laughs> well it's going to be hard to distinguish with what we made up with what actually happened <laughs> let's just try to keep it to what's on screen for now um this guy gets a job to sell a house to some count count named orlock this man is Thomas Hutter, mm-hmm. Thomas Butter. Um, <laughs> the the script used in the uh, in the interstitials look like butter. Yeah, <laughs> so Mr. Mr. Hutter. Uh, he went. He has this wife who's very anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she yeah. goes to stay with some friends as he leaves. He goes. He meets this creepy count. Sells the guy the house. The house right across the street. Yeah, escapes. <laughs> Yeah, so he's yeah he's kind of captured, trapped in the castle. Is it, he? Yeah. So there's this. Well, let's just keep going. We'll get okay. to this okay. to the ins and outs. He gets out of the house. He runs back to his wife while the count is on the slow ship. Um, he gets there. She's like, wait. She figures out how to defeat Orlock. Somehow she figures out he's a vampire, and then he gets defeated by her. Yeah, it's a pretty. It's a pretty. We left out uh, subplots. Um, there were subplots. There's a bit more going on than what you said, but uh, that's basically the long and short of it. Uh-huh. It's the. It's the rough. It's the. Your, that's your rough outline of Dracula. Um, guy goes to sell some. Takes care of some real estate with a wicked count. Uh, he's trapped in the castle with the count for a while. Uh, he manages to get out by the skin of his teeth. Count takes a slow boat to another country. Everyone on board the ship dies. You know, it's so you're, there's your Dracula story right there. Um, but let's, let's just take this apart piece by piece. Thomas Hutter. What do we think of this guy? He's a doof. <laughs> He's a doof. What makes him a doof? Besides the fact that he makes the creepiest face at the beginning when he's watching his wife. It's so horrifying. <laughs> um, no, he, he can't do anything. Yeah. He's kind of a weak-willed gentleman. Which kind of makes it a cool ending. Because it's not Hutter who saves the day in the end. It's definitely Ellen. It's his. It's his wife. She. She saves the day. She comes up with a plan. She defeats the vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Knock, his boss. I'm just making this face because I don't want to talk about Knock. Knock is a variation on the character of Renfeld from mm. the novel of Dracula. And Renfeld is, in Dracula, Renfeld is more Dracula's minion. From afar, he's mind-controlled by Dracula. He goes crazy throughout the novel. He's in an asylum. Knock uh, is Thomas Hutter's boss, who... So, he gets this letter. What is let's, this letter? Let's talk about this letter. Yeah. So, we get a good close-up of the letter. What language is the letter written in? None. <laughs> not not language? Not like la- Anti-language. It's written in cartoon drawings of stars and planets and whirls and sketches of houses and it's basically it's uh, microsoft wingdings 
a letter. Except for a lot simpler. So we were wondering if the letter itself was some kind of like spell, Mm -hmm. like magic, because Nock is going crazy looking at this letter. Yeah. Like visibly, like he's losing his mind Mm -hmm. uh, looking at this letter. Uh, He keeps like giggling like a madman and like making like pulling all these nutty faces. It's the first time we meet him. Mm -hmm. So I was like, is he supposed to already be crazy? Like, is it just his crazy boss or... (laughs) But I think, no, I think you were right. I think the letter is having an effect on his mind. Because you see, like, the rest of it. It's just written normally. Yeah. You see, like, the rest of, like, Count Orlock writes stuff down. It's just normal writing. So I'm I'm assuming it, that's not... There's something going there's on. There's something going on with that letter. Yeah, but he goes crazy throughout the course of the movie, and he's in an asylum for a lot of it. He escapes, though. He kills, like, the guard, mm-hmm. like, the warden, and... He becomes kind of the 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 decoy throughout the end of the movie. Like the townspeople think that all the death is being caused by him. He's the vampire mm-hmm. is basically what happens, uh, which is kind of a cool little like plot to add on. Like it's a little diversion. Although, how can they tell that Count Orlock is not a vampire considering he never leaves his house? And he is a vampire. And he is a vampire. <laughs> like you can tell he is a vampire. <laughs> Let's talk about the beautiful Count Orlock, the amazing Count Orlock. If you know anything about vampires, you've seen pictures of this guy. Um, like, I hadn't seen this guy s- until yesterday. You've seen versions of this guy, though, in popular culture, specifically The Strain. Mm-hmm. Um, the doofy master the in The do- Strain. The doofy-looking master in The Strain is kind of based on Count Orlock. The ears, the teeth, the except when you update him to look like that, he looks goofy. In Nosferatu, he looks off-putting. Yeah. And creepy. And yeah, so uh so uh Murnau wanted to make him look like well, let's talk about expressionism. German expressionism. In a nutshell, German expressionism is uh a movement that uh, an artistic movement where because it was hard to to it's hard to express what's going on psychologically in a in a in a subject or a character, you uh like in a in a still image, you would paint the or you know display the image in a way that it expressed what was going on inside the heads uh psychologically for the characters and in cinema this helped a lot in silent cinema because you didn't have the voices of the actors to express what was going on inside and the limitations of the camera in the early days meant you couldn't get a lot of close-ups so you would design your sets to sort of and your costumes and your makeup to sort of like express the the inner lives of these people. And it was very useful in uh, horror and it paved the way for American noir. But in Nosferatu, uh, Murnau filmed on location. He Everything's very naturalistic looking. He, he didn't build many sets. He wanted to keep it as, as grounded in reality as possible, except for the Count. Mm-hmm. And the Count is very much a character from German expressionist cinema. And that's that's very obvious in the fact that Murnau is like, okay, well, he is pestilence. He represents disease and plague. And so I will make him look like a plague-carrying rat or... He looks more like a rat than an insect. Yeah, but he... Yeah, like, he, he looks like a, something out of a cave. He's pale and he has this... These pointy ears, these giant ears. He looks like a bat. Yeah, these bushy eyebrows and these front teeth like a bat like it's his they're more rat like in my opinion yeah but it's it's the uh it's the uh the two very front teeth as opposed to the canines like you see in modern vampires 
Uh, yeah, so yeah, these rat-like, bat-like teeth that he uses to puncture. He is oh, and these long fingers, these creepy long fingers. And uh, Max Shrek, who played uh, Orlock, just captures him brilliantly. Shrek was a uh, don't a say of- Shrek was a. Uh- <laughs> Max Shrek was a. We don't have a whole lot of his uh, other films. They didn't survive. Like he was, you know, from an era when we didn't preserve movies very much. But Max Shrek didn't typically do horror. He did a lot of comedy and drama uh, that we know. But people tend to think of him as a horror icon. But this is just one of his jobs. He was just a good actor, committed to a role, and he played the role well. Um, but a lot of vampires since then have been based on this look. Uh, well. Loosely. Loosely based, but suggestive I am from the long fingers to the pale baldness to Like the, the master teeth. from Buffy. Like the master from Buffy. Uh like the like the master vampire from Salem's Lot. Uh the T V show Salem's Lot, not the book. In the book, uh it's it's sort of a a, a, a Dracula redux because in Stephen King's novel of Salem's Lot, the master is just an aristocratic count like a guy like a well-dressed guy but in the movie they make him a nosferatu like with the teeth and the baldness and everything like it's a it's it's a it's a it's a definite choice uh he has certain powers mm-hmm. what are his powers he can mind control yeah people? i couldn't really tell what his powers were to be honest well, he has some very <laughs> specific powers he's super strong like we we see him lifting those coffins full of dirt he lifts coffins full of dirt he's very fast um, they undercrank the camera in some scenes to make him move like a Benny Hill character. And, uh, and I, uh, as has been pointed out, I'm sure that was incredibly creepy once upon a time, but today it does look goofy. Um, he has like a, his spectral carriage pulled by spectral horses, which moves really fast. Um, and probably was very scary in 1922. Not so scary today. But I can see where it was scary at the time, like, spook- like weird looking because visual effects weren't that common. So people were like, oh, God, it's moving really weird. Um, but uh, so he can disappear and reappear in places. We think. Yeah, we see him fade out at one point. He's, he's carrying a coffin into the house on his shoulder and he gets to the door and just like, whoop, like disappears. So he's got all kinds of powers. Oh, and he can travel. And this is really cool. He can travel as a shadow. Um, we only see his shadow at one point going up the stairs in this iconic image. And then he kills, spoiler alert, he kills Ellen at the end. You see his <clears throat> shadow of his hand crawling up to her heart, and then it just grips her heart. And I guess it doesn't kill her immediately, but it like stuns her. And then he drinks her blood. And then he drinks her blood. So <laughs> let's talk about how awesome <clears throat> Ellen is. So she comes up with a plan to kill Orlock. And what is her plan? Her plan, well, there's this book. Mm-hmm. That somehow ended up back in Hutter's possession. He yeah he finds it at the an inn where he stays and, and is he warned. like throws it on the ground and then he leaves. Yeah, and he keeps finding it again. Yeah, it's weird. Um, well he like looks in his bag. And he's like, where did this come from? Teleporting book? Who knows? Um, so Ellen like is reading it and she's like, oh, the only way to kill this guy is by the blood of an innocent maiden. So he for- so he doesn't hear the rooster's first crow and then he dies. I think it's I think it's if he gets the blood of a maiden, he'll just keep feeding and not pay attention to the fact that the sun is rising. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. But yeah. it's put in a really weird it's, way. It's it's expressed very strangely in a very roundabout way. I bet it made a 
Here's something that I was reading about. I don't speak German, obviously. Apparently, in German, the intertitles of this movie are very poetic. Like, we lose that in English because we lose it in the translation. But apparently, it's a very, like, it's a very lyrical. Like, at the time, it was noted, like, wow, this, this, the writing in this is amazing. Like, it's like reading poetry. And so I am sort of ashamed and sad. Well, not ashamed, but I'm sad that I can't read it in German because I bet that those instructions were were just like music to the music to the eyes of your german audience but yeah um so presumably she's a maiden who i mean hutter can't kiss her let's be honest here <laughs> describe their kiss gross <laughs> man he winds up he goes in for a kiss and it's all of one second long he's like <gasps> and then he runs off he does a lot of running off or as ollie says what did I say? Goodbye. <laughs> Every time he runs off the screen, you you were able to say, Goodbye. Goodbye. And he, you said it about 100 times in this movie. You laughed every time. I laughed every time. It was always funny. Because, <laughs> man, is he he's either fainting or running away. Or waking up. Or excitedly bursting into a room for really odd reasons. Because when he finds out he's going to Transylvania, he bursts into his wife's room and says, I'm going to the land of thieves and phantoms. Don't worry. <laughs> he gives her this big hug. He's like, I'm going to the land of thieves and phantoms. And he gives her this hug and she's like, humana, humana, humana. <laughs> she's like, excuse me? And then he runs off with an excited, cry. <laughs> His wife is super upset that he's going to Transylvania and he is clueless. He's like, I'm going to the land of thieves and phantoms. She's Hooray. like, what? What, huh? He never even says Transylvania. He just keeps calling it the land of thieves and phantoms. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. I'm going to the land of thieves and phantoms. Um, and then when he when he meets a phantom, he's like, no big. Like, I don't even acknowledge this guy's a phantom of any sort. <laughs> yeah, so there's we have the classic scene in Orlok's castle where, he, uh, where Hutter cuts himself, and Orlok grabs his arm and is like, let me drink it. And, and he's like has a heart attack i don't understand he almost has a heart attack yeah uh hutter uh is rightfully freaked out by this so he's asleep in his room and orlock bursts in well first we have to talk about the scene where he wakes up in the chair yeah well yeah there's a lot of like hutter walking around the the castle i assume that he can't get out is what's going on but he gets out in one of the scenes yeah it's it's I'm, so I'm going to give the movie the benefit of the doubt and assume that we're we're meant to assume that because we know that Orlock can play a kind of weird mind games, that he's somehow confusing Hutter. Like Hutter just can't leave for some reason because otherwise he could just leave. Or he's trapped. Remember when the, uh, the carriage is carrying Hutter to the castle and the whole movie suddenly goes negative, mm-hmm. like film negative? I'm wondering if that's meant to represent like him tr- crossing over into Orlock's world. Like maybe he's caught in kind of like a fairy world, like another worldly, like, and he can't get out until Orlock actually leaves the premises, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a second. <laughs> but there's a scene where Orlock is about to attack Hutter in his sleep or mm-hmm. in the night. And then Ellen wakes up back home in Visborg. And she's like, ah, like she's had a bad dream or something. And, then Orlock doesn't attack Hutter. And it's like they have like this psychic connection almost. And she's like keeping Orlock from attacking Hutter. It's vague. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's vague. Yeah. 
That's really all you can say. Well, it's like she has a psychic connection with Hutter. Yeah, or something. Like she's she's definitely the strongest character in this movie. She's awesome. She's awesome. And uh, yeah, she's the only smart character in this movie. So uh, Orlok sees a picture of her in, uh, in Hutter's like, he has like a little like necklace or a brooch or something with a photo of his wife. And Orlok's like, say, I want to buy the house across the street from your house, which was the plan all along. Like yeah. it's, I don't know, in any case. Uh, so Orlok fills a bunch of coffins with dirt, single-handedly loads them onto a cart, drives off. Hutter is now alone in the castle, freaked out. The castle is abandoned. He's all alone. He needs to leave the castle. He sees Orlok leave. He's alone in his room. How does he get out of his room? How does he get out of his room? He decides to tear some things apart and make a ladder out of his really tall window. With bed sheets. Yeah. He makes a bed sheet rope to escape a room that he's not trapped in. No. Or a castle that he's not trapped in. He's all alone in this castle and he escapes out the window. There's a movie called Bottle Rocket uh-huh. with the with Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. It's their first major motion picture they're ever in together. And in the beginning of it, Luke Wilson is helping Owen Wilson escape from a mental institute out the window with with bed sheets. Owen Wilson's helping Luke Wilson escape. He has like all these like little like caca caca like signals, and Luke Wilson's making a bed sheet rope to escape from his room. Meanwhile, he's saying goodbye to all the people in the in the hospital, and they're like, "What are you doing with the bed sheet rope?" This is a voluntary hospital. You're voluntarily committed. And he's like, yeah, but my brother came up with this escape plan and he'd be really disappointed if I didn't, if I didn't do it. So I'm just going to, I'm doing this to humor him. And that's kind of what it seems like when Hutter escapes. He's like, I know the audience would be disappointed if I didn't make a bed sheet rope. So here you go, everyone. I'm going to make a bed sheet rope. This is the thing. And then he falls and he almost dies. He falls and he like breaks both of his legs. (laughs) Like what's happening there? He lands really hard and he sits down. But it's like two feet off the ground. He sits down and he's like, hmm. And then he falls unconscious. (laughs) I'm going to assume it was this thing that was really popular in Victorian literature where extreme stress and horror causes people to get really sick. And that happens in a lot of books. It happens in Frankenstein too. Like this... Like, I've been so freaked out that I get a fever, and now I'm just done. I'm in bed for a month. And that's kind of what happens to Hotter. He he ends up found... Hotter. Hotter, Hutter, Butter, Butters. He gets found by village people. I can't believe it's not Butter. I can't believe it's Hutter, because he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> He's sick for a long time in this village house. How uh, long? We don't know. The, the timeline is very screwy. We get... Okay, I'm going to say this is really cool. The scene on the boat... First, before all of that, can we talk about the courier? Oh, yeah, with no pants on? Yes. What? (laughs) There's a courier who shows up, who we see running around a few times, who I... It's the way it's filmed. It looks like he doesn't have pants on. That's all I'm going to say. It looks like he's not wearing pants. It looks like he's just wearing, like, a night shirt that goes down to, like, his mid-thigh. Yeah, I think he has, like, pants on, but in the black and white, in the the way it's filmed, I think it just looks like pants. He looks like a man running around in his night shirt, like Wee Willy Winky. Mm -hmm. Maybe he is... We don't know. The crazy courier. The crazy courier. Um, I love I love all the stuff on the boat. It's melodramatic, but it's shot really cool. And this is where we get to see the shot of Orlock rise from his coffin without even trying. Like, wait, can we go back to the courier for a second? What about the courier? <laughs> it's not about the courier. I was I was thinking about what you said about how Hutter can't leave the castle. He leaves to catch up with the courier. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's not a good character. <laughs> no. Hutter is not a good man. Um, so Orlock kills everyone on this boat. He gets, he's loaded up coffins full of dirt and rats and put them on this boat. He's asleep in one of the coffins. He kills everyone on, the, on board. They're down to the last two guys, and then he scares the last guy so much that the guy like falls overboard. And then he kills the captain. And I presumably pilots the boat. With his ma- magical wind that makes the boat faster. Magical winds. Let's talk about these scenes with the boat and the horse. Okay. <laughs> so we watched this movie, and it wasn't doing it for us anyway. I mean, it's a, it's a classic and silent film cinema. I am sure in 1922 when it first aired, it scared the pants off people. If it had had good music and we had been watching this at midnight in on a dark. stormy night, I am sure, or in like in a movie theater with a bunch of other people who were totally into it, totally different experience was not the best experience for us just as far as atmosphere went anyway so the movie's only an hour and a half long in the middle it starts dragging a bit why does it start dragging a bit because they keep going back and forth between these scenes with the boat and hutter and what is hutter doing just dragging this horse he's dragging a horse around somewhere it's supposed to imply that hutter is has a long journey but all it does is take a long time (laughs) this isn't lord of the rings this is a sad actor stumbling around in the mountains with a horse finally riding the horse and then dragging the horse again and then dragging the horse again meanwhile we get the boat the boat stuff is cool but we do get a lot of shots of just the boat in the water floating they're like we paid for the boat we're gonna show the boat takes a while to get back to dock it's like 15 minutes of just nothing yeah we have ellen worrying about hutter she gets a letter that he wrote where he's like i got bit by a couple of mosquitoes which is interesting for us as the audience because he's obviously been bit by the count it's not interesting for ellen like it's interesting for us because we're like aha he's been bit and he thinks it's something else so he doesn't realize he's a vampire but for the character to be like I got bit by two mosquitoes. You're like, why would you write this back home? That's literally all. He's like, the bugs are a nuisance. Love you. Don't worry. Bye. <laughs> I'm in the land of thieves and phantoms. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and uh, and it doesn't it doesn't assuage her fears. She's not like, oh, good. I feel like she's starting to figure out what's happening at this point. Oh yeah, uh, she is on the ball far more than Hutter is. Yeah. Um, so Hutter's been sick. He finally makes his way back to. Uh... Oh, we forgot that uh, at one point Hutter in the in the castle, he was wandering around. And he found Orlock asleep in his coffin, mm. and it was kind of a creepy shot. Like you see Orlock through the busted up cover of this coffin. Um, just to rewind a little bit, in this movie, vampires don't create other vampires. It's no. implied that Orlock became a vampire or was born as a vampire because he slept in cursed soil. So I assume that like he was just buried in cursed soil and that's what created the vampire and that he has to keep sleeping in cursed soil to stay alive or just to remain vital. We don't really know, but he has to sleep in this cursed soil. Um, so he and the first mate of the ship finds Orlock and that's when Orlock chases him off the ship, jumps into the sea. Um, the ship arrives in Visborg. Everyone's dead on board. Um, everyone thinks, oh, there's rats everywhere. It's the plague. It's the plague. And they're cute rats. Let's talk about these cute, cute, cute rats. They're very soft looking. They're very cuddly rats. These are obviously pet rats. These are domestic rats. 
I'm not going to fault Murnau. You have a limited budget. You have, you're not going to like get real sewer rats. No, nobody wants that. These ain't plague rats though. These are brown and white, soft pet rats. We're just like yep. looking for some food. They come crawling out of the hold and you're like, oh, rats, <laughs> like sweet rats. They're not like sleek, like oily rats from out of a hole these are rats that until about 15 minutes beforehand were in nice cages being taken care of by people who love their rats and who loves rats more than us people who own pet rats yeah who own pet rats i don't want to own a rat uh i mean i love rats i think they're cute they're very smart mm-hmm. they're good pets but I'm, i don't have room in my life for a rat everyone please don't send us rats don't send us rats anyway don't send us rats. that'd be weird it'd be a weird thing to get in the mail um the town starts to panic there's a plague panic and this is i think kind of cool for the for the for the count to do like now he can kill wantonly because he doesn't again turn people into vampires he just kills them he can kill and feed on the townspeople and they all think it's the plague and that's kind of neat like that's a neat vampire idea uh, which is kind of reflected in the strain like this, it's just an illness it's just an illness the cdc is worried about battling an illness not thinking there's a monster involved well for the first episode for the first episode yeah, yeah, yeah. but even even for a while like it's yeah. still blamed on this mystery illness like, well i mean it technically is an illness yeah uh, it's a parasitic illness that well could... in in the strain yeah not in nosferatu it's no. just a guy killing people he's basically a serial killer yeah a supernatural serial killer who's convinced everyone that it's the plague and i think that that works like really well and in fact let's talk about this person who is bringing the news of the plague to people who is this person drummer boy oh yeah there's like a town crier oh so this movie is set in 19 and 1838 like even well before dracula was set like mm-hmm. it's so they it's a little little closer to like the plague era but yeah there's a town crier comes out do 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 do, do hear ye hear ye plague plague let's talk about a character who's not a character venus flytrapman do you remember him that's the doctor that's the guy who's telling the story but he like isn't really a character like he doesn't do they keep setting him up as a character and then he doesn't figure anything out he doesn't solve he's just there at the end when ellen dies (laughs) yeah but there's this whole sequence where he's showing people like he's showing all these students a venus flytrap you see a fly crawl into the flytrap and the flytrap closes and he goes kind of like a vampire huh no nope <laughs> that's not at all like a vampire that, at all like a vampire doesn't that's like any creature who eats anything that's like a thing that eats a thing that's a thing that eats food like i'm that's not a vampire it's not what that maybe what some vampires do lure people into their lair that's not what this vampire does he goes out of his lair and eats on people again and also we don't see him feed on anyone until the very end also like it's just implied so but yeah there's this weird like doctor who's like a non-character um so everyone keeps dying in town we see all these like coffins being carried around town like people are just dying left and right uh knock is going crazy um he escapes the asylum and everyone chases him because they think that he's the one causing the plague Mm -hmm. there's a great scene with the scarecrow (laughs) the hell is that scene I think it's implied that Nock set up the scarecrow, like to trick Within people. In two seconds, he set up an entire. I scarecrow. don't know. Everyone thinks the scarecrow is Nock, and, <laughs> and they, then when they find out it's not him, they're just like scarecrow. They spend some time tearing the scarecrow apart. It's the, the and they're like smiling and laughing. Like, what the heck is going on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then we get one of the cre- Okay, then we get the build up to the creepiest part, in my opinion, of the yeah. movie. 
which is Ellen looking out her window and seeing Count Orlock in his window. It ain't good. It's creepy. Is uh, is creepy as all get out. He is just staring out the window at her. Of course, I still managed to make a joke out of it. You did. What? Well, which was? When I catch someone staring at me from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You memed him. You memed him. You memed the Orlock. That's my job. And, uh... But no, it's legit creepy. Like mm-hmm. she's and she's like, "Oh no!" And that's when he's like, "I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you." Well, Alan. she like like figures out what she has to do and like entices him. Yeah. So she finds she finds Hutter's vampire book and reads the passage about a uh, maiden's blood will distract him. And so she's just like, "Everyone's dying. I guess I gotta get the vampire to feed off of me." and do this thing like no one's gonna help her no one's like no one there's no other part of this heroic deed hutter keeps passing out fainting and going to bed so oh what a wonderful dream yeah he there are like a thousand scenes of hutter just waking up in this movie Mm -hmm. oh oh and he and half the time he's like (laughs) and he like runs off the other time he's like (laughs) that's hutter's two moods in this movie Huh? And uh, <laughs> that's Hutter. Ellen, meanwhile, is on the ball. On the ball. Mm-hmm. So she does. She lures the spirit of Orlock into her house and he creeps up the stairs in this like haunting shadow, like creeping up the stairs. His shadow creeps into her room. He grips her heart and you see him feeding on her in. You think you've seen the scariest image in the movie. This is the scariest image of this movie. He's, how would you describe it? He's like, it's the way it's framed. He's like way down in the lower left-hand corner of the screen. And it's very still. Like he's kind of like looking up at the camera. And like, it's like if you if you see a picture on the internet and someone's in like, it's like of a dark staircase and like someone's just like, look closely. And then you like see like a slight like shadowy face. It's like that. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's really unnerving. And they linger on it for a while. He's just feeding on her and feeding on her and feeding on her. And finally, the 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 rooster crows. He hears it and he tries to get away, but it's too late. It's too late. The sun is up. And did we mention this is the first time that's ever happened on a screen? On a vampire story? Did um, we talk about this in that episode? I think we just talked about it together. Yeah. Th- Murnau invented that. He invented the vampire getting killed by light, mm-hmm. by sunlight. Va- Dracula could walk out in daylight. He was just, he didn't like it. Like, it made, it wasn't easy for him. <laughs> it bothered him. That's me, though. <laughs> yeah, that's anyway. That's, uh, um, that's half the people I know. Um <laughs> But Murnau was like, I don't because he got rid of because he got rid of the vampire experts in the in the in his movie. He needed a way for for Orlock to die, and so basically he was just like the sun rising. And I guess that makes sense from a like a mythological standpoint. Uh, the crowing of the cock and the rising of the sun was the thing that dispelled evil, like mm-hmm. in a lot of like traditions. Like it's a very classic like the, motif. The crow of a rooster would kill a basilisk. Yes. Yep. Exactly. It was a common thing. So it makes sense that it would do it for vampires. Like mm-hmm. for this, you know, for another demonic presence. Yeah. Um, he's he's captured in the rays of the sun. He disappears in a puff of smoke, uh, clothes and all. Uh Hutter finally shows up with he gets the doctor, uh, but But I think she tells him to get the doctor only to get him out of the house. Because Ellen's like, Go get the doctor. Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, so he finds Ellen 
and uh, she lives just long enough for them to like hug, not kiss. No. Get a nice chaste hug. Um, and then that's it. And when we see uh, she dies, and then we see uh, the doctor just looks at the kid. There's this really that's creepy. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> the doctor looks at the camera, and then we see a final shot of Orlok's castle in ruins. Yeah. And then that's it. We were sort of like, okay, I guess that's, I guess that's done. Um, and that's the end of our movie. Uh, Ellen's the hero. She saves the town. She kills the vampire. It's a nice reversal of the guy having to save the maiden from the evil creature. It is. It's, it's a goofy movie at times because of when it was made. Mm -hmm. Like it's just the only flaws I have for this movie are, are that it, it's an, it's a product of its era. It has what it has going for it. Some creepy visuals. It commits to the atmosphere. It ain't racist. There's no racist stuff in this movie, which is nice. Um, well, there's no black actors either, so. Yeah, but it was where it was made at the time. Like, they were employing who they employed. And you know what? And I didn't mention this when I was talking about German Expressionism. You know who hated Expressionism? Who? Who outlawed it? Hitler. So, go Expressionism. Go Expressionism. Hitler hated you. Uh, all the great Expressionist artists, like, had to flee germany because hitler hated him um he was a pretty nasty piece of work wow really (laughs) (laughs) i Um, didn't know i don't know if you've ever studied this man but he did some bad things um that went above and beyond not liking certain types of art yeah he hated expressionism he he was he had a whole art shows that just were there to vilify expressionism that's how much he hated it. There was a score created for it by Hans Erdmann, uh, an official score that was for the movie that would be played live at, at showings. But uh, we've lost the score. So anytime anyone says, like, this is the music by Hans Erdmann, it's like a reconstruction of what we knew about it and, like, what mm-hmm. little we had left, uh, uh, like, examples of it. There have been a lot of Nosferatu scores, some bad, some good. Uh, so make sure you get your hands on a good one. Um and uh, like we said, it became a uh, it became a cult classic. Uh, we had a lot of fun watching it. Let's talk about the beginning real quick. Tell me about the beginning. So in the beginning, we get introduced to Ellen and Thomas, mm-hmm. and just not two normal characters, right? No, no. What's what's wrong about Ellen and Thomas? Well, Ellen's fine. She's just playing with this cat that we never see again. Yeah. And then Thomas comes in, and he's horrifying. So Thomas, they are newlyweds. We think. Uh, that's everything I've read refers to them as newly. They better be newlyweds. Uh, he's still very much like enticed by her. Like he sees her and he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Like he goes and he picks her flowers and she says, why did you kill them? Why'd you kill these flowers? Uh, so you know that Ellen is a little melancholic and uh, Thomas is a try hard. Boy, does he try hard. And fails every time. He fails. He just does not come across as a very smart guy, a very sensitive guy. I mean, the faces that he makes at her in the beginning, they're not anything. They're nothing. Yeah. They're they're terrible and they're horrifying and I hate them. <laughs> uh yeah, he's a Yeah, he's a uh he's a nut he's a nutty guy. <laughs> um it is fascinating to see a version of Dracula before it became 
uh, like the cultural touchstone mm-hmm. that it became before it became before we all knew what Dracula looked like and knew what Jonathan Harker was like and knew mm-hmm. what Mina was like, like before it became just a, st- a stereotype. This was like someone like, well, I'm going to adapt this, you know, a little loosey goosey, but I'm going to do it. Um, I don't know. It's it's it it sticks to the story more than a lot of like adaptations did in the silent era, but it made it its own thing. Um, as goofy as it was, I enjoy it. I think it's a, it's a fine, it's a, it's a well-made film. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful to look at. Um, but again, it's probably not going to like scare your socks off. No. <laughs> Unless you're in the mood to be spooked out by some of the imagery. Yeah. And get it in, and you have a good, you have a good music playing and the, the atmosphere. Is and fine. it's not a teenager and their dad. Yeah. Making, making the jokes. Making goofs. Um, Again, we voice over, we pretty much voiced over the entire. Oh, I was going to mention this. So we watched Haxon last time. Mm-hmm. Haxon. I mean, Haxon was attempting to be like a documentary, but the acting in Haxon, same year, nineteen twenty-two, was very naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, a little melodramatic at times to get a point across, but the acting in Nosferatu is melodramatic. What you think of as silent film acting, a lot of hands across brows. A lot of like giant faces, big eyes, like they are acting with their whole bodies. They're acting to the backs, the back seats, and uh, and it was just interesting that Haxon was the same year, but it was a very different style of acting. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, I think Haxon pulled it off better. Haxon was definitely to me a scarier film. Yeah, like we made jokes all throughout Haxon, but not really at the expense of the film. Just sort of to fill the gaps of quiet, like we were we were joking around, but it was an unnerving movie because it actually happened. Right, right. It was based on real life events, but also just the atmosphere was really good. Like it, they sold it; it sold it very well. Yeah. And Nosferatu is trying to tell a a gothic horror story and an expressionist story and like a melodrama. And uh, you were you're going to be scared of Haxon because it's very intimate at times and very like in your face very claustrophobic yeah and it's Nosferatu you you'd be scared just because it's uh just it it has some scary imagery Mm -hmm. and it's unnerving like the character himself Count Orlock is unnerving if I ran uh, into him IRL I would probably run away yes he's a spooky man um so uh so 1922's Nosferatu oh and I can definitely we've discussed the strain already um, obviously Del Toro is a huge fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I was going to say, I can see, uh, like when you look at characters like the pale man, you can see influences of this design of like a human being kind of stripped of their features. Uh, but, but, but beyond just the specifics, I like that. I can see where Del Toro would appreciate the, the hideous monster that represents an idea, plague, pestilence, invading a naturalistic world. And when you think about it, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to ever say this, I've probably read it somewhere, all monsters in, of this sort, of, of the del Toro sort, of, the, of, the, of what we think of as like mo- movie monsters, are expressionistic. They're all expressionistic. They all represent an exaggeration of, well, not just the specifics, but like from... from from Freddy Krueger to the thing to to the alien they are all they all physically represent the extreme of that horror 
and they are an extension of German expressionism. Like the alien from Alien could have been anything. It could have been uh, a smoke monster. It could have looked very human, just like a normal person, and done the, done the same things. But we want that. We want our horrors, the horror, visualized. And so they are all extensions of Count Orlock. They are all extensions of let's make the horror manifest in the appearance, which some people see as as uh, discriminatory, like saying like ugly is bad but which i guess from a from an artistic aesthetic isn't saying ugly is bad it's saying let's express psychological terror physically and so i don't what think it, any of the monsters are ugly so what is it, but you get what i'm saying yeah. like different is bad like the outsider is bad and i guess like if you look at it from the reverse though which is we are simply using where we are projecting people's fears and anxieties physically then it makes it a little more of an artistic choice rather than like a judgment on people. I don't know. I don't know. I've never thought of it as a judgment on people. Uh, many so people do. Like a lot of things. That's weird. A lot of things. No, it's not. not it's, no, no. It's not. Didn't. I want to say it's weird. It's just, it's a way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a world where people who look different are definitely looked down on mm -hmm. uh, and judged. Uh, we will be touching on that very subject in a couple of movies, but we're not touching on that next. We have an, our final silent film coming up next. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to guess any of these movies on the list correctly. Eric von Stroheim's Greed. It is going to be a massive undertaking on our part. I am nervous about it. How long is it again? This is a four-hour silent film. We'll be splitting up our viewing of it because I ain't sitting still for four hours. I'm not doing anything for four hours. Um, I'm I'm nervous about watching it because I don't know what I'll think of it. I've never sat through, not because I've, I've never tried. I've never seen Greed and it is on the list. I'm just itching to watch it with you. I guess next time we better remember to do our uh, intro. Yeah, thing. we'll do our intro next time. Our, our What do we think we're going to think about this movie? And I will do it too because I've never seen it. Um, so we'll be doing greed. That's our next, our next, whew, our next undertaking. Before we go though, we have a thank you mm -hmm. to our friend Adam Polchinski, who sent us shirts, some wonderful shirts of the Pale Man and Hellboy, uh, and a bottle opener that says Hellboy Two on it. Thank you, listener and fan Adam Polchinski, for the wonderful gifts uh, that showed up in our mail the other day. They are greatly appreciated. I wore one yesterday. Which one? The the, the Pan's Labyrinth one. Yes. Well, I knew that I'll, for the benefit of the audience. You wore the Pan's Labyrinth shirt, which was amazing. It may go down to my knees, but you know what? It don't <laughs> matter. You will wear anything with a pan man on it. A I am a pan man. Man made of pants. <laughs> clank. Clankety clank. Instead of the instead of the Tin Man in uh, Wizard of Oz, they should have had the Pan Man. I am sure that at some point in Baum's illustrious career, there's been a man made of pants in that world. If you've ever read the Oz books, he starts running out of ideas around book five. And then it's just like, how about a guy made of soup? All right, it's Soupy the Soup Man. Here he comes. He's from <laughs> Soupland. <laughs> but I kid El Frank Baum. He's dead. So uh, next time... Uh, Eric von Stroheim's Greed, Be There or Be Square. And once again, I'm Phil. And I'm Molly. And we'll see you when it's Del Toro time. Del Toro time.